With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo with Sam Monson previewing all of the week 18 action. Sam, that's right. They're making us work an extra week this year. It's happened. This is it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I work all the weeks of the year. Well, oh, vacation, oh. I guess. But yeah, me too. We me were already too. working this week. We're just doing different work. Different work. Okay, fine. It's just another just another week for us. And it is uh, it's playoff scenario week. This is one of my favorites. Because I just get to read all of the scenarios. Great. That's what we're going to do today. Perfect. Ready for it? Yeah, outstanding. I'm sure that that's, that's the kind of teaser that's going to keep everyone around on the show. Everyone stick around with us live on YouTube. We'll go through all the scenarios. We've got number one seeds at stake in the AFC. We've got playoff spots available. Everything's happening. Uh, how did uh, how did Eric do on uh, the show yesterday? I got to I let him do the uh, the in-person uh, replacement yeah, for I me mean, for yesterday. It's not for me to say. You know, the the audience feedback I think was pretty good. People in the the chat were loving it. The ones that weren't trying to start a full-blown COVID debate. Um yeah, it seemed seemed successful. I, I thought it went well. Pretty healthy uh, manscapes must be happy too. You guys uh, discussed uh discussed the tools for the job I mean, quite a bit that's what we're yesterday. here for is to to make manscape happy just the way they make your balls happy <laughs> <laughs> well done well look at you oh, classic host all right we're going to do things a little bit differently here for this preview show you ready uh mm-hmm. normally we would go through take the three best games and try to order this list of games by the best games um, I went differently here. Um, I said we're going to do the two Saturday games first because there are two games on Saturday. And then we'll go kind of division by division because that's how the NFL set up this schedule. Uh, all of the divisions other than the Saturday games are kind of lumped together in either the 1 o'clock or the 4 o'clock hour. So we'll go division by division just so we can try to get the uh, the games that are dependent upon each other discussed at the same time so let's start with the saturday games we've got the kansas city chiefs at the denver broncos to round out the season it's a 
It's the first game of the weekend. They moved. This is new, by the way. The NFL has decided to take. They used to have all the games on Sunday. No Monday night football. We still don't have Monday night football, but now they took two games and they're calling it the season finale. Finale pushed them to Saturday for ESPN. So this is the first one. Chiefs at the Broncos. Chiefs are favored by 10. Chiefs are most likely to be the number two seed in the AFC. Still a chance to be the number one seed. They would need the Tennessee Titans to lose to the Houston Texans. But Chiefs at Broncos favored by 10 here this weekend. Yeah. Um, And I think that line is sort of showing you that Vegas at least is confident that the Chiefs are back where they were supposed to be at the start of the year, which is kind of where they appear to be right now. Obviously, trying to get that number one seed, um, they... They went through their wobble, right? They're, earlier in the season, the defense was terrible. In midseason, they went through that issue of, on the offensive side of the ball, of struggling to score, struggling to avoid turning it over more than anything else. And then you face the Raiders a couple of times. You face the Chargers that aren't going to tell you what, where you are. And it does kind of seem like simply getting back on track, whether or not it was on easy mode or not, getting back in the groove seems to have fixed a lot of their ills and you know that I think right now even if Denver rolled out there and they played you know a ton of two high shells and they gave them the kind of defense that they were causing them issues early in the year I don't know that you're going to see the same problems from Kansas City I think they're they're still worse against that style of defense but the critical thing is they have confidence now and they're not just going to give you the free plays by turning it over constantly yeah obviously the turnovers uh those for the most part, have have changed. Uh, it's funny how many people are still. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes hasn't had his best season. People are still. He's had some bad interception luck, but then you have last week he had incredible interception luck, right? I mean, people still think all of his interceptions are, you know, he shouldn't have thirteen, but he does have twenty turnover worthy plays. It's not a high percentage, but it is a lot. Um, for me, it's still trying to see uh, this Chiefs offense. They've scored four more than thirty points in four straight games. Uh, so it does seem like they're back for the most part as far as that goes. But I do want to see more of those those downfield attempts when they're available, right? I mean, again, Mahomes only has 23 big-time throws this year. And not that that's the only way to win, but if you did look back at the season at a macro level, you would say that would be the thing that's missing. And again, it's not because you have to just you know chuck it down the field and force it, but that is, that's the thing that's missing from this Kansas City offense. And that's the thing that was missing when they went through that lull where uh, they weren't creating big plays. And Tyreek Hill was like a, you know, nine yards per reception type of guy when he should be averaging like 16 or 17, unless you throw too many dump offs to him. So, uh, you know, again, it's just another time to see if the Chiefs are uh, how they're feeling going into the playoffs. And it's going to be weird right now. We're on track to see Patrick Mahomes playing for the first time ever in the wildcard round as they did have the number one seed last year. And it uh, looks like they'll be playing in, in the wildcard round. Yeah. The Mahomes tr- uh, interceptions to turnover worthy plays uh, kind of ratio or relationship is just weird. It's not that it's not that he's been unduly unlucky this year because like I said, 13 picks, 20 turnover worthy plays. That's kind of about right. Like that's that's actually fairly middle of the road for where quarterbacks exist. But almost none of his interceptions have been turnover worthy plays, and almost none of his turnover worthy plays have been interceptions. Like they 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 are existing almost in a completely independent plane this year. Every time Mahomes throws a pick, it tends to be like bounced off the hands of his receivers, and every time he throws the ball straight to a defender, it's dropped. So 
he's been both incredibly lucky and unlucky at the same time, and it's basically netting out to like exactly where it's supposed to be statistically. Yeah, completely agree. That's uh, that's just where it is. Uh, one of our challenges here, Sam, is to figure out who was playing football this weekend. Oh God, yeah. Uh, there's no uh, clean answer here. There's a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of COVID stuff happening. There's late season injuries where guys are just getting shut down and rested. Uh, but uh, overall, I think. Uh, Bronco, I mean, Chiefs are they're a better team than the Broncos. The 10-point spread, they're playing for something. Uh, even though it's in Denver, I do like the uh, the Chiefs to win and cover here and make a statement and then root for the Texans on Sunday. Make a statement and then root for the Texans. That doesn't scream, you know, end of the season, nothing will. Uh, yeah, I, I think I definitely obviously like Kansas City to win the game. They are the better team. They have something to play for. There's no reason they shouldn't win it. Um, but I am curious to see, you know, what this Denver team can do on offense. Like, they held Kansas City relatively quiet last time. This was sort of in the middle of their – in the middle of getting fixed, right? They played right. the Raiders. They played the Chargers. They played Denver. And they scored 22, but one of those was a pick six, right? They, so they, their offense itself didn't actually put up a ton of points. Um, so I think I like Denver to keep this closer, I think, than the spread. Do you, you like Denver to cover here? Yeah. All right. We got Drew Locke again okay. as well. Look, don't, don't muddy the water with telling me that Drew Locke is going to be the quarterback. Is this, gonna be, is this the first time you've ever bet on Drew Locke? Probably. All right. So Sam's taking Denver to cover the 10. I'll take Kansas City to win and cover. The second Saturday game, Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Cowboys are favored by seven against a fellow playoff team here. The Eagles are already in. Dallas is uh, kind of fighting for playoff seeding, potentially. It uh, looks like they're most likely to play either the Cardinals or the Rams when it comes to the playoffs. But the Cowboys already have the NFC East locked up. And... They're most likely going to be rematched against the Cardinals who beat them last week. So the Cowboys who this is, you know how we always say, Hey, you want to get hot going into the playoffs and all that stuff. It did seem like the Cowboys were trending, right? Like the Cowboys were hot last week. The Cardinals were trending in the wrong direction. Didn't matter. Cardinals beat the Cowboys on the road. So I don't know how much any of this stuff actually matters, but I'm sure if you're the Cowboys, you'd like to, you know, go out with a win here hurt your division rival, even though there's not really a ton on the line here in the Cowboys-Eagles game. Yeah, there isn't. I think this will be interesting, though, because we get a little bit of a glimpse of what Philadelphia can bring to the table as that spoiler team heading into the playoffs. Like, that's been kind of the narrative along for uh, the number of weeks now that Philadelphia, San Francisco, Indianapolis, there's a few of these teams out there that are built slightly differently from most everybody else in the playoffs and might not be as good, but can really play spoiler in a pretty significantly in a pretty significant way. And the reports are that Dallas are going to be playing the starters in this game, so it's not going to be a you know a completely meaningless encounter. They still have seating to play for. They're number four, but they can improve as high as number two, I think, uh, if the Rams and Bucks lose. So I think you're going to get an idea of how dangerous this Philadelphia team can be. Like, if they roll out there and that ground game is as good as ever and Jalen Hurts can make a few plays and they really scare Dallas or even, you know, beat them, 
then like the, the narrative is fulfilled. Like this is this Philadelphia team that that nobody wants to play, or at the very least, has to seriously think about in playoff time. Um, whereas you know the Dallas team that is, is playing for seeding and wants to go to the Super Bowl, like there are there are hurdles along the way that are going to be tricky. Uh, it, it the Dak season trying to trying to unpack that a little bit clearly wasn't as good after his calf injury because I, I, I agree with you like that side of the ball that you were just talking about the Eagles offense versus the Cowboys defense I think is is probably that's a great matchup I mean that's going to be awesome to watch I still can't figure out what to make of Dak Prescott right now it seemed like okay he's back on track in week 16 they scored a thousand points against Washington he's got his best game in weeks all right, they're back on track. And then last week, another grade, about 64, two turnover-worthy plays for Dak, no big-time throws. He now, in, in three of Dak's last four games, he has multiple turnover-worthy plays and no big-time throws. In four of his last five games, Dak has averaged six yards per attempt or lower despite this high-powered Cowboys offense. Like they, you know, they had some guys in and out of the lineup, but they're pretty much back. Now Gallup's hurt. You replace him with Cedric Wilson. I think we've realized uh, Michael Gallup's awesome. You would rather have him. I think Cedric Wilson's shown that he's been a, a good replacement. They have plenty of weapons. What is happening with Dak in the Dallas Cowboys offense? Because it's still t- the totality of the second half. I would say there's a bit of a slump here for the Cowboys in this offense. And Dak, again, wasn't great last week in a big game against the Cardinals. Yeah, he's another one of these quarterbacks that has a massive um, split in turnover-worthy plays earlier in the season versus late in the year. Uh, in, what, one, two, three, four, five of his last seven games, he's had multiple turnover-worthy plays. He had one of those in the first 10 weeks of the season, like, and it was week one against Tampa Bay. So week one, he had two turnover-worthy plays and then didn't have a multiple game or a game with multiple turnover-worthy plays until week 11. And since then, he's been putting the ball in harm's way a lot more. And that's been part of why this Dallas offense has not been as devastating as it was earlier in the year. We know that the potential is there for this group to be as good as anybody in the NFL. Like, even without Michael Gallup, who I think is a significant loss, you have Cedric Wilson who can step up into a bigger role. It needs sort of reshuffling of the roles with the receivers, but in particular, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are both capable of playing all receiver positions within that offense. They can move inside and outside. They can man the position that Gallup plays within that offense and, and do an, a, an equally good job, I think, um, and leave Cedric Wilson to play more inside. So you have the weapons. Like, that group still, with Dalton Schultz at tight end, with the receivers that they have out of the backfield and Pollard and Zeke, it's as good as anybody. Like, there's there's no better group in the NFL than that heading into the postseason. And with Dak Prescott, a quarterback, with the offensive line that they have in place, it should be the best or, you know, top two, three offense in the NFL. But it's not going to be if Dak Prescott is putting the ball in harm's way twice a game. Like, those are the kinds of plays that can offset a ton of production. And unless they figure out some way of, you know, reversing that, stopping him doing it as much, they are going to have some problems. And a lot of those plays for Dak, they're fumbles. And, you know, fumbles are, you know, look, there's, they, they happen a million different ways, but fumbles that we would blame you for, meaning 
you're not necessarily in your throwing motion. It's you're not at the mercy of a, a horrible pass block in front of you. It means you're generally holding the ball too long or just exhibiting poor ball security. And with Dak, I do think there's this element of, you know, you know how I always say Garoppolo a couple plays a game and Tua a couple plays a game that are just like, eh, that's Dak these last couple play year weeks, right? It is a couple plays a game where he's trying to do too much, not seeing the field the right way, putting the ball in harm's way, as you've been saying. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but it's, it's what I'll be keeping an eye on because uh, if Dak plays like that in round one of the playoffs, if, whether it's the Cardinals, the Rams, whoever it might be, I think they're in trouble again. So it, it, he's got to play a lot better and play the way he did earlier in the season uh, in Philly. Are you surprised it's a seven point game in Philly, the way the Eagles have been trending here. And uh, by the way, Micah Parsons, on the COVID list, potentially out for this game. I think there's still a chance he could be back, but uh, which is, looks like he's out at the moment. Which I think is a big thing for the, that Dallas defense. Parsons obviously is is one of their best players already, um, a, a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate, a guy that we've talked about being used in this um, – hybrid role where he's legitimately playing two different positions. He's playing linebacker. He's being moved down to the defensive line. He's playing edge rusher. Um, But more importantly, he has the kind of athleticism to match up with Jalen Hurts and to be, you know, uh, a neutralizing force on the defense, kind of the way we talked about um, JOK for the Browns being used sort of one-on-one with Lamar Jackson when they play. I think Micah Parsons could have a similar role and, you know, stop Jalen Hurts getting out of the pocket and making some plays or being able to track him down and hog tie him pretty quickly if that happens. If he's not there, it's not like they don't have good players still. You know, they've, their defensive linemen are still very good. They've got weapons, but it's, it's blunting the, the sharpness of that defense a lot and potentially opening up what Jalen Hurts can do with that offense. So... I'm a little bit surprised the number's as big as it is, just given how awkward Philadelphia is to play, given the fact that Dallas hasn't looked themselves for a while, at least not over an extended period of time. But I think in, in sort of abstract terms, like Dallas is a much better team, and therefore it's, it's probably fair. Uh, by the way, I do think this is a get, as much as I was talking about Dak, I think it's a get-right type of defense against Philly. You know, it's one of those defenses. I know they were given up 75, 80% completions earlier in the year. They still play heavy zone. That's the type of defense Dak will go out there and, and probably complete 75% of his passes in this game. And, and it, I think you'll feel good about that. So I think Dak plays better, but I also think seven points is a lot Eagles at home, the way their run game has kept them in games and won some games for them. So I'll take the Eagles uh, getting the seven points at home. Where are you leaning on this one? Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I just think Philadelphia is too awkward a team to get to get blown out by more than a touchdown. I think and, and unless Dallas, unless Dan Prescott has a game where he doesn't put the ball in harm's way as much as he has been, I think it's a closer game than seven points. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep, Sam. How about upgrading your grooming routine for the new year? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to make the ball drop into 2022 the cleanest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide. I heard how you guys broke that down yesterday. Mm. Nearly. Almost 8 million balls. Almost 8 million, right? Almost. Uh, 4 million men worldwide have trusted Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscapes.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. It's New Year, New Me with the global leaders in male grooming. This year, take your grooming to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 
and brand new ultra premium body wash. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. The electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. Advanced skin safe, it's the advanced skin safe technology that reduces cuts and nicks all over. It also comes equipped with a 4,000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land. 2022 looks to be. And the new product that needs no introduction, it's the Ultra Premium Body Wash from Manscaped. It solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but, but in the shower. This body wash smells great too. It's cologne infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. Whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscapes.com for our exclusive offer. It's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code PFS. It's over at manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. It's new year, new me in 2022 with our friends over at Manscaped. You did a good job with that yesterday. Thanks. Breaking it all down. Mm. Yeah. If you guys want to hear another Manscaped breakdown, Sam had it yesterday. Yeah. My, uh, our, my biggest issue, I think, with the ad reads yesterday was uh, spacing, you know, kind of dragged it out a little bit, left it a little too long, then had to kind of yeah. shoehorn them in at the end. Yeah, you got to think yourself. it's easy being the host here. Got to pace yourself. Yeah, you think it's easy doing my job here. All right, so like I said, those are, those are the Saturday games. Let's go to the Sunday slate, and we're going to go somewhat division by division, right? We'll try to link the stuff that matters together. Uh, so we're going to start with the NFC South. These games are happening in the 4 o'clock hour. The New Orleans Saints at the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, the Saints are playing for their playoff lives. They need a win and a San Francisco 49ers loss to the Rams to get into the playoffs. And Carolina Tampa Bay, we'll talk about Carolina Tampa Bay in a minute, but uh, Saints, Falcons, the Saints are favored by four and a half. And given everything they've gone through this year, I just saw a little bit of the breakdown. Ten offensive line combinations, four different starting quarterbacks, a game where eight coaches were just on, in COVID protocol, all sorts of COVID issues. Uh, Drew Brees obviously retires. All of that. Saints have used uh, more starters than anybody in NFL history, the same way the Titans have used the most players. The Saints have used the most starters in NFL history, for whatever that's worth. And here they are, one game away from the playoffs. All they have to do is beat the Falcons and get some help. Pretty good job by Sean Payton and company here. They've also had two head coaches because of the COVID issue. Yeah, it is. Um, like they, Sean Payton has done a really good job. And you do kind of it's one of the what ifs of this season like what would this Saints team have looked like if they'd had Jameis Winston all season long um as much as you know we Jameis Winston is the butt of a lot of jokes but he's obviously better than Trevor Simeon and Ian Book and you know he brings a lot more to the table from a passing point of view than Taysom Hill though obviously Taysom Hill brings his unique kind of skill set in terms of what he brings in the run game all that kind of stuff but like, this team was not bad with Jameis Winston at quarterback, and their defense is nasty. It's capable of causing some real problems. They're our third-ranked defense um, in terms of the, the PFF power rankings. If they had a quarterback all season long that were, you, you, knew, you were confident in, this would have been a really interesting team. And they were the team that looked like they had the, the, the top wildcard spot locked up for a long time in the NFC before things spiraled out of control and the quarterback situation went to hell. Um, so I think they're, they're a better team than Atlanta, but the Falcons have like a group of those unique playmakers that makes them interesting to watch every week. Yeah, and I keep coming back to, I know that the offensive line has had some issues and we have 
we have commended the Eagles for pivoting to the type of offense that they have, which is featuring the offensive line, featuring the run, run game, Jalen Hurts rushing ability. Maybe it hasn't been as easy for the Saints to do that, given the injuries that they've had up front. But if they're going to do any kind of damage in the playoffs, don't you think this week and beyond, that has to be the way, right? It has to be Taysom winning the numbers game at the line of scrimmage, shortening the game with the rushing attack, and then hitting a few, even if it's not a few throws over the top, but working the pass game off of that. I, I, I think that's the Saints' best bet because clearly – we're just not seeing enough efficiency from Taysom in the air through the air that I think relying on the run game a little bit more is probably the play here for the Saints. Yeah, it's it's a weird offense to try and craft because even if Taysom Hill was playing, you know, really well and giving you um hitting all of his throws, hitting all the throws you were attempting, the like the the receivers aren't good enough for for you to actually take advantage of that. Like um, Marquez Calloway last week made a few really nice catches, but every like it was he was sort of alternating between really nice catch, drop, really nice catch, drop. Um, and this offense is not efficient enough when that's happening to to get to live with mistakes. So it does feel like you need to do something, you know, kind of like the like the Baltimore Ravens the first year Lamar Jackson was at quarterback, where everything is run heavy. And then when you're when you're passing off the back of it, you're you're taking a deep shot and you're trying to make something huge happen and pick up 50 yards at a time. But they don't really have the receivers for that. Like, are you taking every one of those shots to, you know, somebody like Harris? Is it Callaway that's going to be that guy? Like, there's just they don't have the weaponry to lean into that kind of, uh, you know, big play offense. Just you just do it. (laughs) I know. No, I know. But like. Callaway's shown that ability at times. He's flashed it. I, I, I think Harris could be the guy. Uh, I, I think the same way you said, hey, the Niners lean into volatility, lean into if we're going to make a run or pull some upsets here, it, we might have to take some chances. I think that's where the Saints are as far as their team goes. Uh, and then the defense is legit, right? The defense, as much as any other D in the league, is is capable of playing those shutdown games and they'll be lied upon here. Great pass rush. Cameron Jordan playing really well in recent weeks. I think they'll get some pressure up front against the Falcons. And I I think they win. I mean, the the saints, I believe win this game again, it's in the four o'clock hour. It's at the same time because the NFL, this is how they do it, right? You don't want teams knowing what they're up against here. That's the same time. The Niners and Rams are playing each other and they'll be rooting for the Rams to beat the 49ers. And that's the, the Saints path to the playoffs here. Uh, as far as the Falcons, you know, it's just always trying to look at Kyle Pitts and <laughs> watch what he does and Cordero Patterson, but they're going to have, we're going to have a lot of QB discussion with the Falcons here. They've, they've got so much money tied up to Matt Ryan. Looks like he's starting to slow down at this point in his career. And uh, they're really tied to him for next year. So we'll spend plenty of time this off season discussing Matt Ryan, his future, and what the Falcons should be doing there. But the off this this roster still needs an overhaul. There's seven and nine the Falcons point differential of a minus one thirty six. So you could easily look at their season and say actually they're a three or four win team, which is what they were last year, right? So uh, they're not not necessarily much improved here in year one under Arthur Smith. Where are you leaning here in this game? Falcons getting four and a half against the Saints. The Kyle Pitts thing is interesting as well because he's basically playing wide receiver now um 
Like, they're not even, last couple of weeks, he's lined up in line as a tight end five times in each of the last two weeks. Uh, He's had games where it's been as low as three, four. Um, I I don't know that that's necessarily a terrible idea. Like, he, he, I said at draft time that if, if all you had of Kyle Pitts' tape was his wide receiver tape, you would say he's the best receiver in this draft. Like, and that was a draft, obviously, with Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, all these guys. I think you could make an argument that Kyle Pitts was the number one guy if he didn't play a, a snap of tight end in college. Um, and right now, the Falcons have essentially moved him. They've said, to hell with it. You're playing wide receiver for us. We don't have Julio Jones anymore. We need a number one receiver, and it's you. Um, and I don't know that that's a bad idea necessarily, but I do think that if you're going to maximize the freakish skill set that he has, I do think you pick up something by having him just enough tight end play to make teams account for him in a different way. Like, you know, if you if you took a Calvin Johnson or, you know, whatever sort of big physical number one elite wide receiver and you just sort of had him put his hand in the dirt for a few snaps a game, it wouldn't achieve anything. But if you can have those guys like Kyle Pitts and he's playing, you know, 30% of his snaps as an inline tight end and he's good enough as a blocker. And obviously that's a, that's going to be a work in progress in year one as a rookie because almost every tight end struggles blocking when they first get to the NFL. But if you can make defenses still essentially treat you as a tight end or at least have to respect the fact that you can do it, I think there's a there's an there's an edge to be picked up there. Whereas if they never have to worry about it, if they just say, "Well, that guy's a wide receiver," that's what we're treating him as. Now you're just like now you just have to be an elite wide receiver. There's no you're not sort of cheating the system in any way, shape, or form. I think there's value to be had in making teams respect you as a hybrid weapon that can flip between positions. And right now the Falcons aren't picking up any edge that's there. Now. I don't know that it matters. Like, he might be good enough that they don't care, and he just becomes an elite number one wide receiver, and great. But that's an interesting, I think, sort of development to watch as his career progresses. Uh, overall, though, like, it's Pitts, it's Cordero Patterson. They just don't have enough, I think, to match up. So, yeah. Uh, you want oh, to I want to have that Pitts discussion this offseason again because uh, if he's going to be a receiver, then wouldn't you have just drafted Jamar Chase? No, because that's uh, what I'm saying. I, I, I think you can make an argument that if if he was just a wide receiver, you would take him number one in that draft. No, I know. I, I remember you making the argument. I know we've got a year of hindsight here, and we know how we don't, we're not just projecting how special Jamar Chase is. We know how special he is. But I think you're drafting Kyle Pitts, not just because he could be the best pass catcher, as you said, but because there is that mismatch type of ability, not just, hey, go win on the outside type of ability to tap into here. Uh, so you're going to go Saints here, covering the four and a half? Yeah. Don't forget the Falcons. I mean, these these teams play some good games against each other. Falcons won the first matchup, right? With Trevor Simeon at quarterback. In the first matchup? You said, yeah. or this week? The first matchup. The first, yeah, yeah, right. Um, four and a half. I'll take the Saints to cover this thing because they're playing for the playoff lives. That's going to be my my trend here, right? The teams that are playing for something yep. are, uh, are going to win. Uh, let's go Carolina Panthers at the Bucks. Bucks are favored by eight. That feels, they were favored by even more, I think, two weeks ago when they played in Carolina. I don't know if this line is implying that the, the Bucks might rest starters, but eight feels low, I, I would say. Maybe it's because of 
Antonio Brown being out, the wide receiver injuries, whatever it might be. But I would, I would expect a, a higher spread here because it sounds like Bruce Arians wants to play his starters for well, the they, Bucks, they, and they still have seating. They're for. they're playing for seating here. They're playing for something. So. Yeah. So they should, I don't think they will or should uh, rest their starters because they they have something to play for. They, seating is important for them. Um, maybe it's a reflection on the whole Antonio Brown drama, which is blowing up. Like, I, I mean, I tweeted this today that this is part of the understanding when you bring in an Antonio Brown is that if and when it goes south – it's going to go south the way Chernobyl went south. You know what I mean? There is nuclear fallout everywhere, and anything within a 50-mile radius of that stadium is being burnt to the ground with radiation on his way out the door. That's the way Antonio Brown rocks. And you act, like you knew that if when you brought him in. Like, this was, when it goes to hell, this is how it's going to go to hell. It's not going to be a quiet divorcing and, and parting of, of two different uh, parties. It's going to go like this. Now... Does it matter? For two different reasons. Does it matter? One, because you won a Super Bowl with him. So even if it takes everything down with it this year, is it still job done? Is it still worth it? And two, you know, are the personalities that remain, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, um, you know, guys like Mike Evans, are they strong enough to bring it all together and stop it being a problem anyway? Either way, it wouldn't shock me if it was having some kind of impact on people's interpretations of this game. So I, my take on it is the same as it was when they signed Antonio Brown. Like just from a say what you want about what people, everybody has an opinion on who deserves second chances and how many chances they deserve and whatever. I'm going to put that aside for a minute. From a football standpoint, you're getting into it saying the upside is incredible, which included a Super Bowl run, as you said. The upside is you have Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Gronk out there. And if you do have injuries, you have you know, an extra, your depth is, is outstanding. The downside is if you lose Antonio Brown, you're in the same spot you were presumably when they signed him in the middle of last season, which is with still a very good receiving core. Now we've got Chris Godwin's injured. Sure. But I mean, from a football standpoint, it's just, we always talk about risk reward here, Sam. We always talk about playing to win and all that stuff. That was the goal here, right? Was create an incredible offense with the downside being if Antonio Brown leaves, we're still be in pretty good shape. Uh, I don't think that the, Again, from a how well you're going to play football standpoint, I don't think that this drama affects things from that standpoint. And then everyone else can have that off the field discussion that they want to have. And should the Bucks have given them more chances and whatever. Um, but the one thing I think that could come out of this is we saw last week, Cyril Grayson, who is a track star at LSU. He catches the game winner against the Jets. Rashad Perryman, who ran a sub 4-3 at the Combine a few years back. Antonio Brown is fast and on the field, but now Rashad Perryman and Cyril Grayson may be stealing some of those snaps. The Bucs haven't really had a speed deep threat for much of the season with Scotty Miller hurt, with Antonio Brown hurt. They actually kind of look fast out there right now with Mike Evans and Gronk adding some of the size. I'm not saying it's a good thing offensively, but it's it's they might have some more big playability and we saw that at times with Perryman and Grayson making plays down the field last week. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the classic distraction that is the word that always comes up that nobody wants any part of, right? Coaches hate the term distraction. Players hate distraction. Like anything that can potentially distract you from your singular focus of defeating your opponent on a Sunday, Saturday, Monday, whenever the hell the game is going to be played, that's what teams hate, right? And... 
there's debate as to how much that actually matters or not, but this is the classic example. This could not be a larger distraction looming over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now. And if the NFL people are right, if that's one of those things that does actually have an impact, um, then, then it is a problem. If it's just one of those things that they say or they feel, but it's like doesn't ever translate to, you know, on the field is essentially undetectable and it's just something that lives in their brains, like momentum um, or, you know, those types of right. things. Like if it's, if it's one of those things, then who cares? Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. It's a distraction. You have to spend all this week talking about Antonio Brown, not the Carolina Panthers or the playoffs. But if it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. Like I just – it's an interesting referendum on – you know, what is a distraction? Is it actually a problem that's going to derail things or is it just something you have to get by and it's a pain in the ass to get through? But once you suit everything up on Sunday, it doesn't have any effect anymore. Yeah, it, it, that'll definitely be interesting to see. I think, again, the Bucks are playing for uh, playoff seeding and, you know, they, they could be as high as the number two seed. They could be as low as the number four seed, I believe. And... You know, they're just, you know, fighting for more playoff games, basically, throughout the playoffs. Uh, Panthers, it looks like Stephon Gilmore might not be able to go. Sam Darnold back out there after a, a dud again last week. Great. So that's why I, I think the the Bucks defense, even though they have some injuries there and they're hoping to get some guys back to the playoffs, I like the Bucks here to cover more than eight because, again, they're playing for something. Darnold's not playing well, and I think the Bucks are going to play their starters and Tom Brady's the MVP, as I wrote on uh, PFF.com, the most valuable player in the NFL per PFF wins above replacement. Go check out the article at PFF.com state of the case for Brady. I'll take Tampa Bay to cover the eight. Yeah, this is an eight point line. And if you go um, to P if you go and look at PFF's data, whether it's the power rankings page or if you go along the top of the website, you'll see each individual game you can click in. There's a ton of data uh, on each matchup. The quarterback comparison um, widget or tile shows you that data point that we have that is, you know, how much is each quarterback worth to the Vegas point spread if they, if they were out and they had to be replaced by a, a replacement-level player? The difference between these two quarterbacks, Sam Darnold and Tom Brady, is seven of the eight points on this point spread, right? So Brady alone is worth seven of those points. Now you're looking at the rest of the roster top to bottom and saying, is Tampa Bay right now, you know, shooting for playoff seeding, one point better than the Carolina Panthers? Yes, yes, they are. Therefore, they should cover that line. If you want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? What about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with the PFF's Chris Collinsworth, our guy, to share insights that can help you put you ahead for both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering for up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. That's a, it's a big day with a big game, Sam. Don't forget to check out Chris's podcast. It's the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. And now back to our podcast, Sam. Back to our game previews. Still in the four o'clock hour. Let's go through the AFC East 
matchups. New England Patriots at the Miami Dolphins. Patriots are favored by six and a half here on the road in Miami. And they technically still have a shot at the number one seed, don't they? They need a lot of help. They would need the Chiefs to lose. They would need the Titans to lose. And the uh, who else? Bengals to lose. And then that's all the Patriots need. <laughs> that's all. And the Bills. And the Bills, I believe. Is that right? And remember, at least one of those games is done by the time they play. So it might be out of this is one of those games where like they're what they're shooting for actually can change before they take the field. And they might at that point. I mean, look, seeding, it's not just the number one seed that's that's all important. Right. Number one is more important because you get the buy. But there is a difference between two, three, four. You know what I mean? It's not it's not all equal. Um, It is relevant in terms of you know, who you're likely to play and where. It isn't just number one seed or bust. But, you know, if you have guys that are dealing with injuries, a Damian Harris, if you, you know, if there's, if there's guys that are uh, questionable that could go if you needed them to, if, like, Kansas City winning on Saturday could be the difference between New England going, eh, it's probably not worth throwing that guy out there. Yeah, the other thing is they can – they could win the AFC East, not necessarily just the number one seed if the Bills were to lose to the Jets. So the Bills and Jets are also going to play at the same time again, so you don't get to see it. Uh, of course, the Bills are favored by 16 <laughs> against the Jets, and it's probably unlikely that they lose. But yeah, New England's playing for seeding. As of right now, it looks like they're going to probably either take a trip to Buffalo or to Cincinnati in the first round. So it looks like we're looking at uh, the Patriots. Either way, they're in the playoffs. They're probably going to play a road game. Uh Playing the Dolphins, who are coming off just a just a disaster, man, losing twenty seven to three. Uh, I think it was twenty seven three, right? Against the Dolphins, uh, against the Titans last week, and we've seen Tua, you know, declining a little bit these last couple weeks. So we've got a whole off season of Deshaun Watson talk, and is Tua the guy? And it, and it was trending in the right direction for Tua. He still has a great record if you're just looking at the you know wins and losses for the Dolphins with Tua under center. But I think, again, we're still he- heading to an offseason of lots of discussion if he's the future for the Miami Dolphins. Won't that be fun? <laughs> won't, that be, won't that be great? We'll have many dailies breaking it all down. Um, yeah. Like, uh, the, Miami, the Miami situation is funny because they're kind of shaking out to where they should have been. It's, just, it's, another, it's another year where it's been comprised in a really weird way, right? That seven consecutive losses, seven consecutive wins, and then uh, a couple of wins or losses bookending at either way. And if they lose here, they end up, what, eight and nine, one game below 500, and completely confused as to where they are. Like, this is more or less where we were last year. We're probably not much further along in knowing what Tua is. The offensive line that we put so much faith in heading into the year was a complete disaster, we're kind of listless at sea, you know, we're a ship without a direction at this point. I think that's the big challenge for Miami is orienting themselves and figure out like where we are and where we should be pointing and heading off in that direction. Obviously new England is in a completely different situation. They in theory are headed in the right direction. Perfectly. Mac Jones. This is an interesting test for Mac Jones. Last week it was like, we didn't really learn anything because he was playing a bad team. So it wasn't that, you know, him playing well answered a lot of questions, but 
but it was important to play well because if you hadn't played well against a bad team, now you would be in sort of crisis mode. Now you get to see, was that simply a matter of playing Jacksonville? Or is Mac Jones actually going to right the ship at the right time heading into the postseason, which is what makes New England dangerous? If Mac Jones doesn't play well, like if this is a bad game, he pitches the ball to the Dolphins a couple of times, the Patriots sort of struggle, maybe they get a win and they struggle over the line, like that's just not good enough to beat the best teams in the AFC all the way through the playoffs. Like They're not a Super Bowl contender if Mac Jones is playing like that. If Jones has a clean game, doesn't put the ball in harm's way, you know, maybe add some value with a couple of big-time throws here or there, then New England is right back regardless of where they finish up. Like whether they snag the number one seed through that freakish run of uh, wins and losses or whether they're in a wild-card spot, doesn't matter. At that point, New England is a legitimate Super Bowl contender with Mac Jones at that level. So I think it, it's an interesting game to see where Mac Jones lands. It's always interesting to me when uh, the way – division games fall right these two teams played in week one we have we have teams playing two times in three weeks we saw the browns play the ravens basically back-to-back games with a bye in the middle these two teams played back in week one we had never seen mac jones play an nfl game the Maya dolphins were coming into the season with a lot of hype the dolphins won despite the patriots on their way on a game-winning drive but damian harris fumbled the game away Patriots won 17 to 60 uh, Dolphins won 17 to 16 and then didn't win a game forever. Uh, it was just incredible. Just crazy how the you know, we're 17 weeks later here uh, from a new England standpoint, weird stuff has happened in Miami through the years. Let's see if Mac Jones can avoid that. We've seen Brady have some rough games there historically when, you know, it didn't make sense on paper. I could see Miami playing a, a good hard fought game here and, uh, not looking as bad as they did last week against the Titans. So I think Miami keeps it close. I think Miami uh, plays them tough. They're going to play their their man coverage, you know, make the windows a little bit tighter for Mac Jones. Patriots pass rush will probably get some pressure and all that. But I like Miami to uh, to cover the six and a half here this week. Um, I Under the guise of weird stuff happens in Miami for the Patriots. <laughs> Uh, I think the Patriots have. I think the Patriots have been good at beating the teams they're supposed to beat more or less this year, and they have something to play for. I, I like New England to win, and I guess cover that line, even though I don't love it. All right, Sam, we've hit the final week of the pro football regular season. College football is headed into the national championship. DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to get all fans in on the action for this exciting time on the football calendar. New customers can bet just $5 on any football team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. So let's wind down the season. you got one more chance here at a big win. If football, if Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still find your way to the winner's circle. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. It's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One for customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we could definitely get through some of these games a little bit quicker than others, right? Uh, some of the games at the end really mean nothing. Uh, Jets getting 16 points here at the Buffalo Bills. 
I thought we mentioned on the review podcast, Zach Wilson looked a lot better last week. I mean, if you're a Jets fan, all you're looking for is Wilson and development and some of the arm talent showing up. There were a couple throws last week, zipping a dig route over the middle and another pass over the middle. That was perfect up and away from cover down and away from coverage really. But uh, it's not perfect, but Wilson playing a cleaner brand of football. That's all you can ask for. I think if you're a Jets fan, the run game got going a little bit as well up front. So some positives, coming out of New York. And if you're Buffalo, this is your chance to win the AFC East for the second straight year as uh 16 point favorites. I'm expecting Buffalo to win this thing for sure. Yeah. And kind of rescue, not rescue the season for them, but you know, they, they were expected to take this division easily this season. And all of a sudden, you know, losing to a couple of teams, the Colts, the Patriots, it looked like that was slipping away from them and new England was going to claim it, grab the division back, maybe even get the number one overall seed. Um, so, yeah, Buffalo reclaiming that spot as, no, we are the best team in the AFC East and we're the team that, that expects to challenge for a Super Bowl, I, I think is legitimate for them. Like, that's a kind of, it's, in a way, it's a, you know, this is a routine, just take care of business game against the Jets. But I think that would be a real confidence boost for them. Like, securing the spot that they were supposed to have at the start of the season I think would be a material difference for Buffalo versus getting into the playoffs, but having had the division taken away from you and having to do it the hard way um, if you're going to go the distance. So I do expect Buffalo to play, you know, like they have to put this game away and really take it to the Jets. And then it's a case of like, can any of the things that we saw that were good from the Jets last week or the last couple of weeks, can they happen again against a Buffalo team that, is still an elite defense and an elite pass defense, even without Tredavious White and, you know, rolling. It, I mean, obviously this line is a monster line for a reason. Buffalo is a significantly better team than the Jets, uh, but I also think they've got way more to play for and are going to be more motivated than the Jets. What a weird season for the Bills. They've got the best point differential in the NFL. I saw something the other day. If you flipped, because, you know, people talk about one-score games, right? Yeah, they're kind of a kind of a toss up. And if you're good, if you're great in one score games, one year, it's going to revert back the other year. And it's not really true. It is for a lot of teams. I think, you know, the teams still with the better quarterbacks are going to be better on the, in those over time. But if you flipped every one score game in the NFL this year, the bills go to 15 and one, and they're by far the best team in the NFL. Their only loss would have been there uh, getting destroyed by the Colts 41 to 15. Uh, but you know, losing by three to the Titans, by three to the Jaguars, by by four to the Patriots, by six to the Bucks. I mean, there's a lot of close games in there, and then there's all these other games with, where the Bills were favored by more than two touchdowns or about two touchdowns, like they are this week, and still covering. So, uh, much like you said, the Patriots have taken care of business against bad teams. The Bills didn't against the Jaguars, but other than that, they've not only taken care of bad teams, but they've beaten them pretty handily. So, I'll expect more of the same here. And it's uh, to clinch the AFC East, which looked like it was slipping away a few weeks ago, as you laid out. And I think the Bills will cover, cover the 16 and uh, be hosting a playoff game next week in Buffalo. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Bills. What else do we have to say? I mean, that's it. That's all you need in that game. This one's a little bit better. This game, San Francisco 49ers at the Los Angeles Rams. Another game in that four o'clock hour. So we'll get into the NFC West games right now. Niners need to win. And they're in. They have owned the Rams in recent matchups here. This has been Sean McVay's kryptonite, his friend Kyle Shanahan. 
the Rams are still favored, though, by four and a half in the NFC West division title is on the line. The Rams can win it. Uh, all they have to do is win. They don't need any help from Arizona. So where are you leaning in in this game? 49ers and Rams, or what are you looking for? Yeah, five straight wins, right, for the 49ers yeah. over the Rams, despite the Rams being, you know, the better side overall for most of that time, um, which is it's pretty interesting, actually. Um, I don't know that, you know, I know that these historical long winding records mean an awful lot but i think when it when sort of most things are still there like kyle shanahan versus sean mcveigh generally speaking a lot of those components are the same i think that is probably meaningful like the fact that the rams have been a much better side for a lot of that time and yet the 49ers are on a five uh, five game streak against them i think probably does matter to a degree so this is not a side that the rams are particularly in love with playing um and, you know, we talked before about how this, this 49ers team is built to be a pain in the ass for everybody because regardless of how well you match up with them schematically, nobody matches up well with George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Kyle Juszczyk and Brandon Ayuk. These are freaky, unique athletes that you can't replicate. You can't, you know, you can't fake a Debo Samuel in practice, right? There's no guy, there's no guy you have on the practice squad that moves the same way um, or has the same capacity to run receiver routes and then immediately turn into a running back once the ball's in his hands and start busting through tackles everywhere. Similarly, George Kittle. Like, you don't have a guy that can do what he can do. Um, it becomes more interesting with the 49ers question of quarterback, the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance you know, last week we saw the sort of high variance of Trey Lance. Um, he, I think, looked better than he did in preseason or earlier in the year, but he's still going to put the ball in harm's way. Like, that's going to be a, a process. There was a couple of mistakes in there. One was a misread. One was a kind of just being too too aggressive, too confident in what you can do at this level. And that's going to give a defense, the opposing defense, opportunities. On the other hand... Like Matthew Stafford has been giving the defense opportunities left, right, and center as well. So I, this is a really interesting game for, you know, a game we could see again in the postseason. Do you think your friend Dan Orlovsky is concerned with uh, Matthew Stafford's not turnovers? Not at all. Not concerned not in the slightest. All. He's not concerned. He says he's not concerned about Matthew Stafford's turnovers. I won't get into it. Uh, but uh, it's potentially a concern. Uh, I was asked today – if you're, you know, the Cowboys are trending toward probably playing the Rams or the Cardinals, who would you rather play? Um, I, I, I'm still, even though the Cardinals bounce back, had a great game. I, I do think the Rams high end when Stafford plays well, what they're capable of doing defensively, Cooper cup being uncoverable and going after this receiving yards record, which the record book is closed, Sam. We closed the record book mm -hmm. after week 17. There are no records being broken this weekend. I will ignore them, but I do think the Rams are a little bit more dangerous than the Cardinals. But, man, this, this matchup, though, it, it's going to be another one of those great test cases for how much does it matter, right? Like when the Bucs play the Saints, oh, the matchup, it's just, just the Saints just have the Bucs number. Does this matter this long into the you know five straight wins here? No matter what the Rams are constructed like, the Niners just seem to have their number. I think, I think it's a factor because of the way the, the 49ers – play football against this Rams defense. Yeah, and look, people people kind of whinged uh, that I didn't give enough credit to Matthew Stafford for 
of a comeback against Baltimore, right? Putting out the fire that he started in the first place. He went, didn't miss a pass and that was in the second half, you know, was, was pretty much flawless after he'd pitched the ball to the defense a couple of times. And it's like, it isn't an unreasonable point in terms of he has been insane late in the game. Like he has the best PFF grade in the NFL this year in the fourth quarter. He's the only quarterback in the league with a passing grade above 90. His passer rating in the fourth quarter is like 126 or something insane. If you get to the fourth quarter with the game on the line or in touching distance or, you know, in a good spot, Stafford is a great quarterback to have. The problem is, you know, have you already thrown it away at that point? Like, has Stafford already pitched the ball to the defense, put up seven points for them, you know, given them another turnover and suddenly you're in a 10-point hole? That, I think, is the big concern for them. And against the 49ers, it, like, it, it's a, a legit problem. They are a team that's very difficult to stop. And if you are down in the fourth quarter, they're a team capable of just chewing up a great chunk of that clock. So... The Rams' fortunes kind of rely on, like, stop, stop throwing the, ball, the game away to then try and rescue it. Like, if just get to the point where the game is close. Don't give them opportunities. Last matchup got out of hand quickly because the Niners started the game, and we talk about this quite often, right? That team that can chew clock, and you just mentioned it. That's what the Niners did to start the game. Big, long drive. It was the first game with OBJ with the Rams. Stafford throws a pick to him down the field. And then there's a pick six on a screen pass that shouldn't have been right off. Tyler Higby just drops it. pick six. I mean, the Niners were up quickly and it looked like the game was going to get out of hand. The Rams kind of kept it close for a little bit. And then the Niners pulled away. So there were some quirky things in the last matchup, uh, including bad Stafford decisions as well. Some quirky things in there. Stafford also made some some great throws that just were dropped. It, everything that kind of that we would say should have happened kind of like went the opposite in that particular game. But um, I'm liking the Niners, man. I'm liking the way they're trending. I'm liking the way they're playing football as far as the offense goes. We keep mentioning that. Jimmy Garoppolo did practice on Wednesday. He had a throwing session that supposedly went well on Tuesday. So the fact that he's even throwing, he wasn't really doing a ton last week. But the fact that he's even throwing this week makes me think Jimmy G is going to be the starter. Uh, we had a whole PFF NFL daily breaking down that discussion. Jimmy G versus Trey Lance. My final conclusion was, yeah, let's roll with Jimmy G. But why not put Trey Lance out there a little bit more? Put him in the red zone, the place where Jimmy G, last time we saw him on Thursday night football, throws a, a red zone interception to Jackrabbit against the Tennessee Titans. Why don't we just, let's just lose those plays and get uh, Trey Lance as the red zone quarterback. If the if the Niners want to go on a run here, that might be the path. And this might be the week we see it. Jimmy G and Trey Lance, two QB system, keep the entire NFC off balance here. This would be, I mean, a win for, 40, for the 49ers would be really fascinating in this whole dynamic. Like if they roll into the playoffs where these two teams could face each other again and they're on a six-game win streak against Sean McVay's Rams, like can you imagine where the... Where the Rams' headspace would be if they meet again in the playoffs? Yeah, and that's—I think that's what I can't find a clean scenario breakdown there. But if the if the Rams lose, they're either the three or the four seed, and if they're the three seed, they would the Niners would be the six seed. If the Niners win, they're they're number six, and it would be Rams 49ers next week, just like we had. I think last year we had Week 17 and. 
uh, wild card round, right? Ram Seahawks. We had a back to back weeks where they matched up. So I think we could definitely see this matchup a third time, obviously, if the, the Niners would have to win for that to happen. Uh, the Niners can also get in, of course, if the Saints lose. That's what they're rooting for. But again, it's all happening at the same time here in the four o'clock hour. So, yeah, I think from a matchup standpoint, I don't think the Rams want the Niners. So I think they want to make sure they win and don't have to see them. I'll take the Niners, though, to uh, to cover the four and a half and maybe even pull off this upset again here. I'll take them to pull the upset again in L.A. Niners win, go to the playoffs. Where are you going? It's definitely possible for them to meet again. Like, I, I just uh, swapped around some games in the simulation, the, the individual simulation. Your sim is, you know, it's starting to become just reality here. You don't have much to That's change. What I'm saying. Anymore. I know. But they would need – I just started messing with some games. If they shift, if, if Philadelphia wins, if Seattle wins, and if the, the 49ers win, the Rams and the Seahawks – or the Rams and the 49ers, rather, are playing number three seed versus number six seed. Three versus that would be that would be a great matchup. And uh, Bucks again still have that chance at the number two seed. They're battling the Rams, so they'd be rooting for the Niners if they want to get that better seed and have home field advantage all the way through the NFC Championship. That's what's on the line here for the Rams for the Bucks in this battle this week. Uh, so, who are you going to take to cover this thing? Uh, I will take I'll take the 49ers to cover that. I mean, right, I think this is real. The Niners, and we're, we're leaning into this uh, trend. In this, you know, recent recency bias or recency hist- recent history, uh, Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. This means a little bit less. Uh, Cardinals by six and a half. They could still win the division, though, right? So um, it doesn't mean it means less. It just means less for Seattle. But the the Cardinals, I believe, win the division, right? If they win and the Rams lose, so they're rooting for the Niners this week, and the Cardinals are favored by six and a half. And my question mark is this Russ's last game in Seattle. It's or with Seattle on the road here against Arizona. Could well be. That that's a question that seems to be getting asked a lot more than it has in the past. Like, you know, we've there have been discussions about uh Russell Wilson and Seattle moving in different directions, but now it's it's almost getting that Big Ben treatment of, oh, this was Russ's last game. It's this is it. It's not gonna be anymore. Like the the future's gonna be different. So maybe it is. I mean We've made this point that if, if Russell Wilson was genuinely unhappy last offseason, nothing that's happened in the last whatever, however many months has helped that, right? The, the offensive line, the protection is worse. The play calling hasn't gotten any better. The, he's got injured for the first time. The team overall has gotten a lot worse. Um, so if you were at all unhappy last year, you're more unhappy now. And I think there's a very real chance that there is some kind of divorce in the offseason so yeah like Russell Wilson and the Seahawks they don't want to go out like this like this is a crappy crappy season for them they've they've been exposed as a not a very good team um, that was being carried by Russell Wilson if he hasn't played at his best they're not he's not able to carry what the team is right now I don't think they want to go out like that I think they'll definitely show up and try and show, uh, try and give Arizona a game I don't think just the fact that it doesn't really count for them is going to be a problem, but like you're up against it against a team that is very good. So one thing to keep an eye on here, the uh, Kyler Murray for the Cardinals, he's big time throws left and right these last couple of weeks. Uh, Seattle's done a pretty good job of, of avoiding big plays. I still don't think their defense is great. They've maybe played a little bit better than I had anticipated this year, but again, how much is that dependent on who you're playing? 
uh, they've done a good job of avoiding plays over the top. And I think that's where the Cardinals offense, they have done a nice job of, uh, you know, hitting Antoine Wesley with the bomb and getting Christian Kirk open down the field, AJ Green open down the field. Uh, so there are big plays. There have been big plays to be had for the uh, for the Cardinals offense. That's how they like to play football. Like, get the underneath stuff going, take those shots over the top. Uh, Seattle's done a pretty good job of avoiding those. Russell Wilson against this Arizona defense, man, they continue to just do some really cool stuff. They just flood the field with their athletic linebackers and defensive backs and create havoc. There was a great uh, play last week where they disguised into cover two and Dak just didn't have a receiver. And it wasn't just Dak not having a receiver, but the receivers, they basically had a call for to handle that zero blitz, which blitz was, which is a whole bunch of go, go routes. And once they pivoted to cover two, it's like, well, those go balls aren't going anywhere. So Dak had nowhere to go. He ends up taking a sack. The Cardinal, to me, that that just exemplifies what's happening in Arizona with that defense. It's it's athletic, middle of the field linebackers and safeties, and they help protect their corners. They create that indecision for opposing quarterbacks. So that's what I'll be interested to see. Cardinals defense against Russ doing that, and then Kyler against this Seattle defense if they can create any of those big plays over the top that have been so crucial these last few weeks yeah i think kyler murray has played well um even even sort of it, the totality of the season even with the wobble since coming back from injury a lot like dak prescott he's continued to make an incredible amount of big time throws he leads the league by a distance in big time throw rate 8.4 percent the next closest guy is Jameis with like 7.1 or something. Um, the next guy after that is in the sixes. So the, di- the the gap between Kyla Murray and anybody else in terms of the frequency of just dropping dimes left, right, and center down the field has been pretty insane. His uh, frequency of turnover-worthy plays has shot up since coming back from injury. And he he's had, I think, eight of his 12 on the season since returning from injury. A lot like Dak Prescott, like the difference between this offense being unstoppable and this offense giving the the defense some opportunities is those turnover-worthy plays. Are you going to put the ball in harm's way and give a defense a chance at stealing two possessions back in the game? Like Those are potentially massive plays. And I know Murray has been dealing you know, without DeAndre Hopkins during this time, and that's certainly going to be part of the problem, but... Like, I think that's the difference between this team being a legitimate Super Bowl contender and being a good team and a playoff team, but, you know, very vulnerable to getting bounced by any of these teams in the NFC. All right, six and a half. Where are you leaning? Uh, Arizona by six and a half at home here with uh, potentially the NFC West division on the line. Game happening the same time as that 49ers Rams game. Where are you leaning in this one? I think Russ brings enough magic to the table one last time to keep it close. Yeah, you know, yeah, I always lean that way too with Seattle. <laughs> you know, touchdown spread either way feels feels like a lot. I think I took them against the Lions last week, but um, give me Seattle to keep it to keep it close enough, and then we'll talk we'll talk Seahawks plenty as we get into the offseason. Uh, before we get into the AFC South battles, these these incredible matchups, uh, don't forget NFL Pod is your way to get twenty five percent off any PFF subscription that's right nfl pod don't be i I love how you called out eric yesterday too uh like hey we're not using your promo code here from the forecast we have a very specific promo here from 
the PFF NFL podcast. So it's promo NFL pod. You get 25% off any PFF subscription over at PFF.com. All right. Uh, Titans at the Houston Texans. This is what the Titans have been playing for all season. When we said the Titans made it through the difficult stretch, they made it through the bills and the chiefs and the Rams and all these difficult games. And if they could just get through, they'll have the easiest schedule in the NFL. And that schedule included the Patriots, which was a tough game and they lost, but it also included games against the Jaguars and games against the Texans and all that stuff. So this is where we are right now. The Titans playing for the number one seed. All they have to do is beat the Houston Texans who did beat them a few weeks back, but they're favored by 10 here on the road going to Houston. The Houston Texans season has been bizarre. Like they are a four and 12 team with a game still to go, which is weird in itself. Um, Their first win, okay, Jacksonville, fine. But then remember, they were, like, they looked really good in that first week one against Jacksonville with Tyrod Taylor. They were giving the Browns everything they could handle in week two before Tyrod pulled his hamstring and was, was lost for a giant chunk of time. Then their wins are Tennessee, Jacksonville again, which looked a lot more predictable the second time. And then the Chargers, like, and not just beating the Chargers, but beating the Chargers with like a depleted team. Like Houston were down to their backups across the board, missing most of their good players, what, what few they have. So their wins are sweeping Jacksonville and then beating Tennessee, who are, you know, the team sitting in the number one seed right now. And the Chargers, who obviously have a dramatically better quarterback and are better across the board. It's, it is a weird team. Like, We've been talking, there's a lot of sort of conversations about when players quit on a team or quit on a coach and, you know, when the sort of situation becomes toxic. For whatever the, like, the discourse was around David Cully and how he was kind of uh, an afterthought head coach and, and these kinds of things, the Texans are legitimately playing hard deep into a season that they never had any shot of competing in and are beating good teams in doing it with very little logical reason for that to be true. Um, so as much as Tennessee should win this game and should win it pretty easily, that was true in week 11 and it didn't happen. Right. No, I know. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm, I've been impressed with Cully just for, for that, right? Just the idea that the Texans aren't great. They have some games where they play tough and either pull some upsets or keep games closer than they should. Uh, same thing you would say about Dan Campbell and the Lions. Uh, I also don't know what that means going forward. You know, how much, ta- you know, making a bad team play hard for, you know, however long, if that means anything when you're actually rebuilding the roster. But I thought Cully did feel like an afterthought pick and he's going to be back, right? I mean, he should be back and have the opportunity to to rebuild this Texans team with, with Nick Casario. So uh, I, I, I'm just very impressed with Mike Vrabel overall, what he's done. Sure, they laid an egg against the uh, against Houston last time. But the other thing, too, how how fluky was that Pittsburgh game a few weeks ago? We talked about the three fumbles and 10 plays. And Tennessee, even though they're not the flashiest all across the board, they've just been a very good team the majority of the season. And my our friend Ramon Foster, who I do the Tennessee radio with every week, he's, he was calling you out. He's like, why are you asking? Why are you, Sam, choosing violence? Mm-hmm. Picking the Titans like eighth or something like that. Is that what it was? And among playoff teams? Yep. Just not believing. So I had to explain for you 
And it just, it's probably just because they, Tannehill doesn't have the flash, right? They don't have the flash. They haven't had the dudes all year. They've just flown under the radar. How are they doing it? I don't know. They've got a pretty good defensive line. They've got an excellent secondary, but the revolving door of players has been good. And Vrabel's been that glue piece, which I think is valuable and huge. But yeah, the ten- Tennessee is somehow going to fly in under the radar here in the playoff picture, probably as the number one seed. Yeah, and look, it, a big part of it is that their their wins, the actual performances have been less impressive than the results, right? So when you look at some of the wins that they've gotten, they're really impressive in terms of like just statement teams, you know, teams that they've knocked off or situations that they've they've achieved it in, but the actual performances have, haven't been quite as good as that. And when, you know, there's a bunch of advanced metrics where like Tennessee looks like a rank average team and a side that, you know, that I've seen them sort of talked about as like, they would be the worst number one seed ever statistically. Right. I'm, I don't know if I'm willing to go into that because I think a part of it is that a, the, the, ten, the potential of what Tennessee is in the postseason is much higher than the reality of what they have been for a lot of this year, right? Because it's all been down to missing a bunch of these players. No A.J. Brown for a period. Julio Jones been banged up all year. Derrick Henry has been down since whatever it was, week eight, Halloween. Um, they haven't been the same unit. Now, if they get, we saw already what the difference A.J. Brown can make when he's back is if they get Derrick Henry back, if Julio Jones can string it together for a few weeks, the potential for this team is way higher than we've seen, but there's no guarantee any of that happens, right? Derrick Henry might return, looks like he is going to return, but is he going to be the same guy? This is a 250-pound guy running on a broken foot. Um, is, like, the Julio Jones thing. Sure, if you get a healthy Julio Jones, it's great, but, like, I mean, is that ever going to happen at this point? And A.J. Brown, sure, he's back right now, but he's had some durability concerns as well. So, you know, the potential, I think, and I think I said this in the article, the potential for Tennessee is way higher than the eighth seed. That's why they're the number one seed. But the way they're playing right now, it's not, you know, it doesn't fill you with confidence. Yeah, I, I get it. Cause there's, there's not, there's not the flash there, but man, if they do can come, if they can come together at the right time, They'll, they'll be fun. I mean, it, it, it's easy to think. I, I, you know, you can see this run for Buffalo, right? You can see the run for the Chiefs. I think you could see the run maybe for the for the Patriots. But can you envision the run for the Tennessee Titans? At least to, they'll presumably be one win away from the AFC Championship for the second time in three years. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has played good ball these last three years. And A.J. Brown is a legit difference maker, and Derrick Henry can be. So, I think Tennessee, I'm back and forth on this. I think Houston could keep it close again. I think Vrabel, because I do just trust him as a coach, I don't think he lets that happen again. I just think they go in, impose their will on the Houston Texans, cover the 10, and and clean up that number one seed here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. There's no, there's no good reason it happened the first time. Therefore, I'm not expecting it to happen the second time. Um, and I think, you know, for as much as, We've just been talking about how Tennessee hasn't been what they could and should have been maybe for this season. They are starting to get healthier and get back on track. So, yeah, Tennessee. Titans were down a bunch of players, too. That's the thing about football games, right? Football games in general have their own unique ebb and flow. But then when you add the fact that maybe the personnel is completely different in another matchup, you just just get different results. So uh, give me the Titans here. Uh, speaking of different results, the Indianapolis Colts at the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Colts need a different results because they have not won in Jacksonville since I believe 2014, 
includes one game where they played over in London. So they didn't have a chance to win in Jacksonville, but the Colts are favored by 15 and a half and they have to go face the Jaguars. The Jags beat the Colts in Jacksonville week one last year before losing a million games in a row. So yeah, the Jags just uh, seem to play better against the Colts in Jacksonville for whatever it's worth, but I don't believe it's going to happen this week. Colts win and they're in in the playoff for the playoffs. We need it to happen though, just to set up the apocalyptic scenario that I know that the so, Chargers lay it out, lay out the scenario, Sam. If the Indianapolis Colts lose in Jacksonville or fail to win in Jacksonville, I think actually, which is, as you said, not happened since 2014, then the Chargers and the Raiders would be playing the final game of the season in the regular season, um, Sunday night football with a tie putting both of them in the playoffs. So in theory, there would be no incentive for either team to do anything other than kneel the ball, however many times you need to kneel the ball to chew up 60 seconds or 60 minutes of game time. Um, where it gets complicated is that uh, is it the, if they, a win would dump one of them out of the playoffs, whereas the other one would make it anyway. Like it, it's not quite the even bargain that it would need to be for literally neither of them to have anything to play for whatsoever. But this has happened in other sports where there's basically been no incentive for either team to win the game. Like soccer, it's come up a few times where in international games in particular, there's literally been no incentive for either team to win or lose the game. So they've basically just kicked it around for 90 minutes and (laughs) taken the tie. I, I doubt that would happen in the NFL. I think NFL people are too stubborn and pig headed and, conspiracy theory driven to let that happen like somebody you know had one of those stories with anonymous sources inside the organization or whatever and they were like well how do we know they'll do it like how do we know they'll take the knee why they might we don't we can't trust them to kneel it out as well so we're not going to do it and risk losing the game like they are literally both teams could be going into this knowing full well that if we just kneel both of us we're both in the playoffs and everybody's happy and they wouldn't trust each other to do it. You know what I mean? That's the level of people you're dealing with in the NFL. And then it's like, uh, what if it was like full WWE style, right? You're like everybody's kneeling, they're kneeling, they're kneeling, and then one team just decides to like pop pass over the top, get into field goal range, kick the field goal and end it and just rip off the NWO shirt and, uh, you know, or rip off a, a Colts shirt. Like we're bringing the Colts to the playoffs or so. Yeah. Like that's, that's what could happen. Yeah, like the Tebow jump pass over the top to just no of the kneel. Yeah. To, to yeah. no, no defense behind. And there's some guys running like 80 yards for the score to, to dump the other side out of the playoffs entirely. Let me just say, if, if, if we're sitting there in Sunday night football, and this scenario starts to play out, knowing what we know of the uh, Sunday night football production crew and uh, producer Fred Gadelli and all that stuff. You know, Fred, Fred is storming down from the truck, storming out of the truck onto the field and making them run plays. Yes. Just, just for the ratings. I will say, look, you know, Chris has been at this a long time. The man's very good at his job. Sometimes you need a challenge to come along and, you know, put you out of your comfort zone. I would be fascinated to see how Chris and Al handle these two teams kneeling the the ball ball. out for 60 minutes of game time. Like, what would would the pivot be? Everything you've pre-prepared in terms of, you know, the packages, like we're going to have this whole segment on the left guard here. Uh, every the first time he makes a good play and we can draw it up, that's when the highlight package shows. Like all out the window, all of it. 
So you got now the the upside is you only have to talk for like an hour as opposed to three hours because the game's just gonna have a running clock the whole time. But look, lose so much money that you don't get all the you don't get all the commercials in. There'll be commercials after like every series. Yes, I mean NBC would not be not be happy. I would imagine if this is the way it went. You think Al's hammering the under just in case? <laughs> who, who knows? Are we allowed to talk about all this stuff? We're, it's all fair game, right? Oh, we're fine. It's it's okay. Al that has to speak in code when it comes. Al's to Al's like this QB line. deal means a lot for some people. Yeah, if you still have the under. Yeah, this sort of the audible wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, this means a lot <laughs> to some people. You know who I mean. You know. Oh, some people just root for chaos. Last year, last Sunday night football game of the year was what Washington Philadelphia, and there was the the uh, tank bowl, right? Yeah, well, that's the game Philadelphia kind of, effectively uh, deliberately threw by starting yeah. Sudfeld, right? Um, rather than like, they, they took more. Hertz out of the game, yes, and, and put then Sudfeld, Sudfeld in there. Yeah, and at a time where you kind of wanted to see more of Jalen Hurts to have any idea what he was going forward, and instead they effectively threw the game picked up a better draft spot, acquired a first-round pick from Miami essentially because of doing that with you know Miami's jumping around the trades and being able to get and jumping back up to get Jalen Waddle. So this is the, you know, you've you've been one of those you can't you can't tank, you can't foster a losing attitude kind of deals. And this is a, an example of it working. Now, to be fair, people left the building after that game. Like the head coach. Yeah, he had a whole new regime. Right. The head coach is no longer the head coach. The quarterback is no longer the quarterback. Like things changed. On the other hand, it worked out institutionally. Like they're in the playoffs now, probably. Um, and they, they're moving in the right direction. And they did that a lot because they were able to deliberately throw that game. Tanking for a half is different than taking for a season, though, Sam. I'm in on it for, and it doesn't a, for apply a half. To, and it doesn't apply to either of these teams, so. No, it doesn't. In, anyway, uh, Colts and Jaguars, uh, I don't have much of a you know preview or analysis on this. It's a 15-and-a-half-point spread, and I continue to lean on who's playing for something. Well, the Colts are. Yeah. I think they're going to win, obviously. The question is, are they going to cover this massive number on the road here? Um, well, my question sort of becomes, how many turnovers does Trevor Lawrence have in throwing the ball or pitching the ball or just losing the ball to the Indianapolis Colts defense? That's a, that, that is a big question. It's going to be a, it's going to be more than one. Remember this last game? You you were so frustrated with the last time these two teams played. You're like, it doesn't make any sense. The Colts jumped out to a huge lead before you know it. In the fourth quarter, it's a one possession game. Yeah, and Trevor Lawrence has a chance to lead a comeback, which it he did not like, do. It felt like the Alabama Cincinnati game in the college football playoffs, right? Where after like the first series, you're like Alabama doesn't need to pass the ball. They could run the ball for seven yards a carry every, all game long and just win by 25 without having to put the ball in the air. After the first drive of this game, the first time around, you're like, the Colts don't need to pass the ball today. They can run for 300 yards with Jonathan Allen or Jonathan uh, Taylor. They do not need to pass. Like, this is going to be a walkover. And then somehow it didn't happen. And Jag- the Jags were able to keep it closer than it should have been. And it, it got it was weird. Well, do you think they cover the 15 and a half here, the Colts? Yes, sure. Oh, Jacksonville are terrible. Huge, that is a huge road number. It is. But every time I've typed Jax into this document, <laughs> I feel like I go back and I don't I don't bold it. 
particularly, I don't bold it as a win. Particularly for a team where, as you say, they haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014. Like, it isn't, there's a team with some history working against them, and the line is still 15 and a half. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the history here. Indy wins, and uh, the Jaguars cover. Boy, do they cover. Uh, see if we can get any other signs of life here from Trevor Lawrence. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Baltimore Ravens. Now, did you not cover that beautiful Steelers-Browns matchup in yesterday's game? You didn't do the Monday Night Football review in yesterday's podcast? Sorry. We did. Oh, I didn't listen to the whole thing. Oh, well, maybe do that before you start throwing accusations around. I, I asked. I just asked. We, we had an autopsy on one of the most depressing and ugly games you'll ever see. Oh, so bad. Now, I, didn't, I don't think I told the story about how I thought the end of the third quarter was the end of the game. Um, so, so I get a text message with like 15 seconds left in the third. 50, Sam is incredulous. 50 seconds. 50. There was like a minute left on the clock. Whatever it was. Sam is incredulous. Why are they not stopping the clock? And then he, the next text, oh, it's the third quarter. Yeah. So it was like they, the Browns scored and then they were kicking off. I'm like, I don't understand why teams ever kick it deep in this scenario. Like you need to stop them either way. If you give up the first down, it's over. And then... They, they, they run. I'm like, why, why are Cleveland not stopping the clock here? Why are they letting it run? And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. This is the end of the third quarter? There's a whole other quarter of this crap to go? I thought the game was done. I, I, I've rarely been as sad during a game as discovering there was another quarter of this still to run, and we had, we had 15 more minutes of this misery to go. It was incredible. Ben, Big Ben passing 50, 46 times for about 120 yards. Never before done in NFL history. The two quarterbacks combined for the lowest yards per attempt in NFL history at that number of passes. Everything about it was putrid and horrible. <laughs> um, I was asked uh, by Ramon and company, too, on radio today, you know, which team would you really like to see in the playoffs that could make it, and which do you not want to see in the playoffs? So I was like, yeah, I'd like to see the Niners. They'll, they'll be exciting, could do some damage. They're still not in technically. Who would I not want to see? The Steelers. You know, no bias or anything. It's just like, which team do you not want to have to tune into a playoff game for? It's probably the Steelers, right? As far as just excitement level. I don't care yeah. who makes I mean, it. God. Just excitement level. Who wants to tune in to this Pittsburgh Steelers offense? If they were willing to go out like that in Roethlisberger's final home game, you know, just like a million passes for zero yards. Can you, if they're willing to do that for his swan song at home, can you imagine what a playoff game would look like with that team out there? It would be, yeah, I, I want no part of seeing that whatsoever. I do, for the game, for the health of the game, the Pittsburgh Steelers should not make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, but they still can. They, uh, yes, they can. They're 8-7-1. Mike Tomlin, once again, has another non-losing season. So, you know, that's exciting. 15 you know, gets, straight. Uh, we, we, we said it was happening, right? We said we're, he's, he's veering toward this. We are winning games that they're not supposed to and all that fun stuff. Pittsburgh scenario here. They need to win. They need Indianapolis to lose in that game that we talked about. And then the reason why Vegas and the Chargers, the Raiders and the Chargers could, could just try to tie is because that's the way that Pittsburgh would get eliminated. A tie is the old, they would be the odd team out. Right. So, so here's the other thing too. Do you, do you go with the long play here when you talk about NFL ratings? You, you, you just don't want to see the Steelers in the playoffs, so you sacrifice Week 18 Sunday night football game. You do the kneel thing just so that people don't have to see the Steelers in the playoffs. It's the long game. 
for the ratings war <laughs> of the NFL. Now the, so the Steelers need to win. They need the Colts to lose in Jacksonville favored by 15 and a half. And they need a winner in the Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles chargers game. Um, people also pointed out to me that, you know, as great as the, uh, the Mike Tomlin never having a, a losing season thing, uh, 15 straight Roethlisberger is working on 18 straight. Like, he had the three years before Tomlin arrived, none, none of which were uh, losing records either. Like the last losing record that the Pittsburgh Steelers had was the season that enabled them to get Roethlisberger in the first place. And then right. from that point yeah. on, that the team, the franchise, has not had a losing record. A game-changing selection, that 2004 draft. Big Ben, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, three awesome careers from all three guys. Um so, yeah, it's an end of uh, an era probably for Big Ben here. So their playoff chances are slim. On the other side, they're playing Baltimore, who is also playing for their playoff chances. Their favorite, uh, Baltimore's favored by five and a half here. Baltimore can win uh, or get into the playoffs. If they win, the Chargers need to lose, the Colts need to lose, and then the Dolphins need to either lose or tie against the Patriots. So now the Baltimore Ravens, uh, season has just fallen apart. Remember, they started out slow. They salvaged it uh, seemingly with a with an upset win against the Kansas City Chiefs. They were trending, the number one seed at one point, right? And now back to uh, fighting for the playoff lives. And they need at least four things to happen, including a win here against the Steelers. And the Ravens for the third consecutive week. We don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to be playing or not. Um, Every week it seems like, oh, maybe he'll play. And actually, you can almost sort of track who the quarterback is going to be by watching the point spread for the Ravens for the last three weeks. Like it moves sequentially depending on the quarterback. When they think Lamar is playing, it's a lot closer. And then it drops a few points when it's going to be Huntley. And then it drops another few points if it was Josh Johnson. So... Just from looking at the movement in this line, I am starting to believe that it'll be Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, uh, not Lamar, because it's headed, um, no, sorry, the other way around. It's headed towards Baltimore. So it's starting to look like Lamar might actually play. Yeah, uh, well, there's there's a lot of COVID stuff happening in Pittsburgh as well. Uh, I think since we've been on the podcast, Deontay Johnson has been added to the list, as well as Joe Hayden. So <laughs> there are... Yeah, uh, and I think uh, center might be there. Uh, Kendrick Green uh, also might be on the COVID list as well. So Pittsburgh's got some some issues up front as well. So um, no chat. I don't hate the Steelers. I don't care what happens with the Steelers. I was asked from an entertainment standpoint, who do you not want to see the playoffs? And I'm not entertained by watching the Steelers' offense. That was my that's my official answer. I, I also think they put themselves into this bind by drafting a first-round running back, Najee Harris, who is awesome, but clearly has not been able to save this offense that had deficiencies elsewhere, including the quarterback position. I mean, I hate watching the Steelers' offense right now. Does that count? It's miserable looking. Like, nobody wants yeah. to see that. That's the point. That was, that, that was the way the question was posed. I don't really – I don't care who does what. Pittsburgh wins, I'll, I'll still watch the game. It'll be fun. Um, so five and a half here at the moment – I that was when I put the spread in last night. I don't know if that's changed since then, but let's go off that Baltimore by five and a half. Where would you lean here? Um, I, I think Baltimore is probably better equipped to win this game. Like Pittsburgh, I think had their emotional high, you know, the home game, the get rid of, or not get rid of the, the goodbye to, to, to Ben Roethlisberger. That was a proper Freudian slip. I didn't even mean that to was that. like, I mean, they kind of need to get rid of them here, right? They yeah. tried to last year and, 
that was back full, on the pay cut. That was full saying the quiet part out loud. Um, certainly was. But they had their, you know, send off for Big Ben at home. Now it's probably like the Ravens, I think, still want to win this game and rescue something of a, a even if they don't make the playoffs, rescue something of a um, like a bad season for them, an ugly season. So I, I think Baltimore has got something to play for, whether it's Huntley, whether it's Lamar Jackson, they're going to want to go out better than they've been. And they've been patching up injuries and lost players and all that kind of thing for a couple of months now. The Steelers, if they have to dive into the bench, have not been um, not as used to that. So I think that's probably enough for Baltimore to win and cover. By the way, TJ Watt the, having an outstanding season. He's one sack away from Michael Strahan's record, but it uh, doesn't count in my book, Sam. We no. have shut the record book, and I don't care if TJ Watt's missed that's, games. That's your you own fault Steelers. for missing games and leaving games early. Staying healthy is a part of breaking records. You have seven weeks to do so. <laughs> that's it. 17 weeks. Sorry. He's had a, a really interesting and weird season. Like, his sack total is insane. His pressure total isn't as big, partly because he's missed those that time and doesn't have the same volume of rushes as, as other guys. I think he has the sort of the second, maybe it's the first, but the first or second best kind of sack rate relative to uh, snaps played. Um, but it's a, it's a weird kind of breakdown of, of how his season has been. He still only has only, quote-unquote, 56 total pressures, um, and but he's rushed the passer like 150 fewer times than Miles Garrett, or you know a few a few fewer times than Robert Quinn. He's he's rushed the passer like a relatively low volume of times. So his pressure rate and win rate is still pretty good, but that sack total is kind of off the charts. It's it's just not the kind of breakdown of a guy season who should be threatening the sack record. Oh boy. I'm not, I'm not even saying that's a bad thing, right? Like his, uh, his no, pass no, rush grade. Gonna get, they're going to be mad at you. His pass we rush just, grade is 90 plus, right? He's earned the sack total. It's just, it's a, it's a very strange season to be threatening it. Good job. Good job backing it up a little bit. Who'd you say was going to uh, cover this thing? Well, I'm going to take Pittsburgh to, to keep it close enough because it's Pittsburgh, Baltimore. And I think that's what happens here. Yeah, Baltimore. Baltimore to cover the five and a half that we're using. Um, the other AFC North matchup. These are all the one o'clock games that we're getting into, by the way. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals at the Cleveland Browns. It looks like we're going to see Brandon Allen against Case Keenum. Joe Burrow's being rested, um, being listed as a knee, but I think they just want to keep him healthy for their home playoff game that they're going to have in Cincinnati. Uh, Browns by six in this game. There's uh, very little on the line Yeah, in this one. Um, this will be the, exactly the kind of game. You know, Baker Mayfield shut down. <laughs> now, I like, have you seen the latest report that he's, he's, he's done with the organization? Like, forget, I don't care what they think of me. I'm, I'm upset. I'm not happy. I didn't see that report, really. Yeah. It sounds like Baker is getting pissed off with how the situation around him has been, which is a turn I did not expect to see with this whole situation. Um, I'm, I, I'm not, I, again, this is, this, is, this is not a rooting interest for a player or for an organization. The rooting interest of not having to debate Baker Mayfield's future contract with the Cleveland Browns as an analyst, I'm kind of rooting against not having to do that. I and I'm and I'm interested in the new Baker Mayfield da- data points with like the football team or the Broncos or the Steelers or whatever other team decides they want to go that route. I think. I mean, I'm always rooting for chaos. So in this world <laughs> yes. of Baker Mayfield's 
career being data points that don't make any sense. You know, you give him an elite wide receiver, he gets worse. You take away the elite wide receiver, he gets worse. Like, none of it makes any sense. So what I want to see is for Baker to be shut down, go for a surgery, Case Keenum to come in and blowtorch the Cincinnati Bengals who are arresting all their starters. Case Keenum looks like an absolute freaking superstar. Now the entire Browns organization are looking at this and going, did we make the right call starting Baker all season long? Should we have been starting Case Keenum all along? Baker looking at this from the sideline, just being mad that everybody wasn't playing well when he was out there. I, and then, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing being madness in the offseason. So that's what I'm rooting for. Case Keenum, monster game. Bengals resting everybody. Browns go and roll. And everybody's mad. I did lie a little bit. I said there's not much on the line here, but the uh, Bengals can be the number one seed. There is a scenario. If they win, the Titans lose to the Texans, where they're two, you know, double-digit favorites. The Chiefs lose to the Broncos, where they're double-digit favorites. And the Patriots lose or tie against, the, against Miami. Or those first two things happen. Tennessee and Kansas City lose, or, and Buffalo wins their game against the Jets. So, uh Cincinnati could still clinch a first round bye, but we will, we will know by sure on Saturday if that's still in play because Kansas City plays on Saturday. Right. But yeah, I think Cincinnati, for the most part, sitting there with the number four seed hosting a first round playoff game. Yeah, and they're going to, as you say, they're going to know heading into that game. So the chances are they're probably going to be sitting Joe Burrow, probably going to be sitting Joe Mixon. Um, I would expect them to be resting their players in this game, whereas the Browns presumably Though, again, this is like the Browns are another one of those organizations that are generally, you know, a sharp organization that plays the edges and does sort of smart, big picture things. That's a team. Think they lose? Well, that's a team that knows losing this game is good for them. You know, like that's a team that if they were trying to do what Philadelphia did, would be aware of it going into that game and trying to make, you know, that happen. Now, what's the move? Like... You can't imagine going into that game, giving Case Keenum like a series and then like, (laughs) what's your game plan to throw it away? Well, if you want to do it full Eagle style, not only do you bring in Nate Sudfeld, you've got him like checking down on third and 10. You're calling screens anytime. Yes. It's a pass. I mean, there's, you disguise it in the play calling and the personnel, but uh, it's a good call. Yeah. Maybe Cleveland wants to lose this or maybe Cincinnati saying, you know what? We want you to win this game. Because we don't want you to have that draft position. Thing is, like, there's no Nate Sudfeld scenario. Like, I don't know if sitting down Case Keenum after a series and playing Nick Mullins the rest of the way actually makes you any less likely to win the game. No, because Nick Mullins, I used to call him the best third stringer in the NFL. But now he's the second best third stringer in the NFL behind Nick Foles. So, yeah. And also, right now, he's second string because Baker's on the shelf. Like I know. Yeah, you move up, of course. (laughs) Uh, I'll take Cleveland, though. I think uh, Case Keenum over Brandon Allen. Uh, obviously, if, if Burrow plays, I'll take the Bengals, but we're assuming a Keenum versus Brandon Allen matchup here. Yeah, I would expect Baker, or I would expect the Cleveland Browns to win this and make Baker's season look even more pointless. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right, another game that means nothing. Green Bay Packers at the Detroit Lions. Now, Aaron Rodgers, I believe, says he wants to play. Um, and who wouldn't, you know, he's, he, he could lose out on that nice home. I mean, nice, that nice dome game against the lions who wants to miss out on those stats. Uh, but it's only a four point spread, which suggests Packers by four 
the man in Vegas is expecting the Packers to either rest all of their starters or at least not have Aaron Rodgers and some of their starters play very much because Packers have the bye. But man, they're not going to play football in a long time. So I could definitely see them playing some of their good players here just to not be completely rusty. Yeah, it feels like it should be a kind of preseason type of game for them, you know, where the starters might play, but give them like a series, two series, and then get them the hell out of there and bubble wrap them so nobody gets hurt. Um, Rodgers also obviously is motivated to try and lock up an MVP. You know, like there's a reason for him to be playing this game to personally rather than uh, as a team. So I would imagine he wants to go out there, throw a couple of touchdown passes and then head back to the bus. But it'll be an interesting dynamic like Detroit for them. This game becomes a task of like, can we hang tough for a few series or however long the starters are going to be out there? And then, you know, crank up the uh, crank up the intensity and the pace late in the game when we're playing backups and try and snag another win. On the other hand, what does that do for them? They're another team that has, like, winning only hurts you at this point. Losing is winning. But uh, Campbell, Dan Campbell's got them playing hard, too, as we've talked about. Uh, Jared Goff still limited with a knee injury. I think we're probably trending toward Tim Boyle here Great in this game. Tim Boyle versus some um, Jordan Love at some point. I think Wonderful. that's the other maybe thing to watch. Um, what was the other? Oh, the one other thing I wanted to say, too. Rodgers has two games where he's graded below 50, below 50, uh, 50 PFF grade. It was week one against the Saints, week 10 against the Seattle Seahawks. One was coming off the offseason, of course. One was coming off the COVID list. So the COVID thing probably affected him a little bit because he didn't practice. Remember, I said he'd be rusty. Um, I'm wondering, those his two worst games are coming off the, the longest rest he had. He had like 250 days of rest, and then he had, uh, whatever, two weeks of rest. Then he's going to be coming back off the bye. I wonder if that's actually a factor. And, you know, the, the Packers do want him to, to play a little bit here. Not a man that responds to rest well. Is that, that's your, uh, that's your. Yes, that's take? my very small sample size. Only this year has nothing to do with previous year's uh, analysis of, of Rogers. Perfect. Don't let him rest. Love it. <laughs> I think the Packers still cover this thing in the four. Uh, I think if, if assuming their starters don't play a long time, I think the Lions probably beat Green Bay's backups. I think the Lions, they have been playing hard for Dan Campbell for, you know, for, for better or worse. I think I don't think they'll try and lie down to improve draft position. I think Campbell is one of those guys that, you know, like you, can't foster the losing culture. You got to win. You got to go, go down kneecap biting. I, I think they'll, they'll win if, assuming Green Bay doesn't leave those starters out for long enough to put it out of reach. I'm also going to say Rodgers goes in, probably throws those two touchdowns you're talking about. They, it, We're at a point in Green Bay where it's like, oh, we have to listen to Aaron. We don't want to go through that drama again. If Aaron wants to play, he's playing. So I think he's going to see the field for the first half or so. Uh, give me the Packers to cover the four. Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. Justin Fields back, Kirk Cousins back. Nothing matters. I'm just reading my notes here. Hmm. Nothing matters. Who's going to win this game and by how much? Uh, I mean, yeah, this is a true, <laughs> this is a true game where it doesn't matter. We're just anybody. not putting analysis into this game, Sam. There's the only no analysis, analysis for this game. Uh, the, you saw that graphic, right? Where it was like, this is what would have happened. This is the record of everybody. If every one score game this team was involved in, the result had gone the other way, right? So essentially yeah. how, how lucky or unlucky has your team been based off their record in one score games, which you know, there's that sort of there's this 
line of thought that suggests that, you know, a sequence of one-score games is effectively kind of lucky, right? It's the bounce of a ball. It's, yeah, they've gone your way, but in any other game, they could have easily gone the other way because you're talking about a couple of plays here or there. Um, and there's some teams whose record swings wildly when you flip the results of all the one-score games, you know, meaning they've won a ton of those one-score games or they've lost a ton of them. The, there couldn't be a more Minnesota Vikings stat or you know, data point that if you flip the result of every single one-score game they've been in, their record is almost identical. It does almost nothing to their standing. Uh, it flips them, what are they, 7 and 9 right now? It just flips them from 7 and 9 to 9 and 7. Like they're, they're still in this like world of like mediocrity either just in or around the playoffs, which is it's perfect. It's a perfect summation of where this team is. They're not riding luck one way or the other. This is who they are. I think where these two teams, the, the things that have linked them over this past year or so, Minnesota, remember, during draft time, was considering either drafting Justin Fields if he was there or even trading up for Justin Fields. They didn't do it. The Bears went and made the move. They draft Justin Fields. He's their quarterback of the future. We still don't know how good he is or how good he's going to be, but now we're heading to this offseason where both teams could have new coaches. We could have new front offices. We could have just a whole lot of new in Chicago and in Minnesota. So to me, that's the story of this game is it just could be the end of their current regimes. Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, Matt Nagy in Chicago, uh, the front office and, and everything in, in both in both instances. So Minnesota favored by four. I think they're a better team. They'll win in a one possession game, but by more than four. <laughs> I mean, Minnesota, what they have to play for is to prevent this whole thing being blown up in the offseason. Like, Mike Zimmer... You can't is, save that now. I don't know if he can't. Like, Mike Zimmer is coaching for his job. Um, like, Rick Spielman is hoping that he doesn't get tossed out with the bathwater. Kirk Cousins is the sort of the focal point of this, you know, locked in, not being good enough world. Um, so everybody involved in this game from a Minnesota Vikings point of view is like desperately hoping they can finish the season looking good and that the, the owner doesn't press the nuclear button and just blow the whole thing to kingdom come. The Bears are trying to sort of go, you know, are we headed? Like, obviously, they're cleaning house anyway. Like, the, there's a pretty good chance Matt Nagy is not coming back next year. Um, and who knows how extensive that clean-out will be. But they're a team that hopes and thinks they have, like, the single most important piece of the puzzle in place in Justin Fields. Wait. Uh, Wait. Breaking news. The Bears have just placed Justin Fields on the COVID list. Hmm. Okay. So he's not playing. I mean, it doesn't affect the Bears' future here, but... No. I mean, but they, they're a team that sort of thinks that they have that piece in place. Um, apparently, we're not going to see him in this game. But for them, it's like... It's, it's a little bit like Detroit's, you know, show me, show me who's part of this thing in the future, right? Try and convinced like Amonra St. Brown for the Lions has had a chance all season long to raise his hand and say, I am a part of your rebuild in the future going forward. That, that's the only thing that the Chicago Bears are fighting for right now is like somebody prove to me that you're part of the solution, not the problem going forward. So uh, I think it's too late for any of that in Minnesota. I don't think you're saving anything in this game. Minnesota's going to cover. Where are you going with it? We'll use the four, I guess. I don't, 
I don't know if the spread's even going to change if you have Andy Dalton under center. Well, critically, in order for the Vikings to maintain their, their comic uh, sequencing of wins and losses, they need to win this game. Yeah. So if they win this game, that completes the perfect pattern. That makes them um, eight and nine. And therefore, that's what's going to happen. Uh, so they'll win the game. And then the question is, are they covering the point spread? And sure, why not? Sure, sure. Yeah, they had. All right, Minnesota and Chicago. The other game that also doesn't matter, Washington football team at the New York Giants. Football team favored by seven. Giants down to, is it from starting this week? I mean, like it matters. Just they're, give me a pick for this game. Both I'm not preparing. talking about it. They're both preparing, I believe, to play because. <laughs> yeah. just, just pick a team and we'll move on. Uh, Washington, the Giants are like an absolute train wreck right now. If you tuned in for Washington versus Giants analysis. Sorry. I apologize. On the other hand. Like first, because you tuned in for it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, because we didn't give you any of it. And third. uh, thirdly, I promise we will spend oodles of time, oodles. hours, breaking down both of these teams during the offseason and, and their offseason. And moves. additionally, look, you've been let down many times before by your team, so it's you should be used to it at this point. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Great answer. Oh, I've been let down by Steve and Sam. Well, you're used to it, so move on. Now, the other person that we let down is Chris. He made one request. <laughs> that feels hey, more if you get Sunday Night Football at the top of the podcast, that'd be great. But here I am doing it kind of by order and relevance and all that stuff. And I thought the QB Neal Bowl, which we're all rooting for, could be should be last on this mm-hmm. list. So, Chris, you can use the timestamps. You can click the game if you want some analysis on this. But, Sam, who do you think's better, Derek Carr or Justin Herbert at, uh, at the victory formation taking that knee? Because uh, that could be what we see here Sunday night. You can't tell him to use the timestamps in the ver- in the audio. Like he's not going to know that until he gets to the point where he, like he doesn't need the timestamps anymore. I'll text him. That's a thoroughly idiotic way of approaching this. Um, if you need analysis on your game this week, please use the timestamps. It's a lot riskier, you know, letting down Chris than it is letting down Washington and New York Giants fans. Like in True. theory. That doesn't really affect us that much. Letting that yeah. Chris could affect us quite a lot. So it's a True. ballsy decision by you. By you, <laughs> right? That's Sorry, important. boss. My by apologies. You. I was simply a passenger in, in this, and I'm I'm just sitting in a chair waiting to talk about a game. You're the guy that determined that we were going to screw over Chris and not do his game until the end. We go down together. This is our podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, I I think I was sort of thinking about this game earlier, and it feels like. Again, the Raiders have their backs up against the wall. Like the Chargers have the better quarterback. I think they have a better offense overall when you consider the sort of top to bottom talent involved. I think their defense is still very reliant on two guys, Joey Bosa and the player, number 33, who shall remain nameless lest we jinx him. Almost at the end of the season, by the way. He's, he's made it. Ish. Um, like to think that we helped. Yeah, of course. So if those two guys don't fire, like it's a it's a problem. Um, but the Raiders, it's their entire team right now is like Derek Carr playing hero ball, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like a lot of times, you're like, you, it's a criticism of the quarterback, right? The guy's trying to do too much all by himself. But the Raiders have kind of left Derek Carr. That's all he's got left, right? Is run around, try and make something happen, heave a pass, and hope you can hit a tiny window to Hunter Renfro or Zay Jones and make enough plays, make enough special plays 
to offset everything else that's not going well. And he's doing it still. Like, it doesn't always happen, but Derek Carr, I think, is still third in the NFL in number of big-time throws. Um, big-time throw rate isn't, isn't quite as good, but he's been incredibly good this year when you consider his best receivers have been taken out of the offense. And when you consider they have an offensive line that ranks 29th in pass-blocking efficiency, I think, and is even worse blocking in the run game. So it feels like it's the Chargers' game to lose. The Raiders' backs are up against the wall. On the other hand, that's kind of been the case for half the season for the Raiders, and yet they keep clinging on to life and, and staying alive and staying you know, in, in contention in this thing. So I think the Chargers should win this game, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out a one last sort of you know, surprise Raiders win. The uh, Derek Carr, I always talked about the Derek Carr discourse being uh... – you know, heated right back and forth. Uh, he is currently number 10 in PFF's war wins above replacement for the third straight year. Right now he's ranking 10th. I mean, I, we might need to call. I always, you know, we say it's top eight, right? Derek Carr really might be the new inflection point. He's at least the top 10 cutoff, right? Derek Carr is that guy, which makes him both intriguing, right? If you're Sean Payton in the saints and there's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the Raiders. Do you try to steal a Derek Carr? Like if you drop Derek Carr, on the Saints and put him with Sean Payton, feeling pretty good about that. And then at other times, if you don't have a great situation, I don't know if you can, you know, win with Derek Carr. But I'm impressed with what they've been able to do uh, for the majority of this season, it, at least in the last couple of weeks. It looked like they were going to lose it. They're back. They're back in the mix here. Winner is in. We know that uh, the the Raiders can still get in if the Colts have that upset loss against the Jaguars and then the Steelers lose or tie against the Ravens. The Chargers can only get in with a win here or the tie if all that other craziness happens. So that's why it's, uh, it's like that's why it's the kneel down bowl thing is not going to happen, right? Because it's an unbalanced bargain. It one team is more motivated than the other to to do that. Well, we don't like. Yeah, there's there's a chance where uh, Vegas might not be motivated to win, and they'll already be in. There's a chance, but there's also a really good chance that both teams. Either it's just win and you're in or tie and you're in. Yeah. Like that's that's the the real opportunity there that, that we could be looking at. Um I'm gonna lean, I'm gonna go toward the best quarterback though, which I, I do think Herbert's playing better ball than Carr. Uh again, I like I like their high end playmakers on defense for the Chargers. Can't wait to see what they what they add this offseason there. But uh Herbert and uh, we'll see how aggressive he is. Uh, the Raiders pass rush slowed down a lot these last few weeks. I think they need one of those turn back the clock to like weeks one through eight when they had the highest pass rush grade in the NFL. They need one of those games putting pressure on J- Justin Herbert. They got him to the ground a few times. I think in that first matchup, uh, they're going to need to do that once again. Yeah, Crosby uh, has a pretty good shot of leading the NFL in pressures this year. He is going to have a favorable matchup this week again because he goes up against the, the Chargers' right tackle as opposed to the left tackle, which certain other networks have suggested will be one of the matchups of the week. Um, that, I mean, that's potentially game-changing, right? When you have one of those mismatches that's that big, uh, on the in, on the line of scrimmage, it can change the game. That being said, it should only be one spot, which is allows you to kind of take care of it, right? You can always dedicate an extra blocker. You can dedicate chip blocks or help on that side and kind of take it away. So that, I think, will be an interesting dynamic, but the Raiders could really use 
um, Crosby like having a dominant game and causing Justin Herbert to have all kinds of issues. The, the problem, though, is like for the second consecutive year, Herbert's play under pressure has been nuts. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league under pressure. He's thrown seven touchdowns to one interception when pressured this year. His turnover-worthy play rate under pressure is 1%, which would be – I mean, it's the, the lowest in the NFL is him with 1.8% overall. So he's like – He's been significantly less prone to turn the ball over when pressured, which is not supposed to be the case. It's such an odd season for Herbert, too, because the seven po- his average depth of target, 7.7, 10th lowest in the NFL. If you put the just the starters in there, it's it's even lower than that. But it's it's it, Mahomes is in that territory, which is another weird dynamic. But yeah, that's not what you expect from Justin Herbert, but he's playing that game well, right? He's playing that part of his game well as far as taking care of the ball, which coincides with not throwing the ball down the field, but taking care of the ball, throwing the ball more accurately than we thought coming out of Oregon. So I like Herbert, the way he's trended. I think he's going to make some big plays because he does make them when he's given the opportunity, make some big plays in this one. I'll take the Chargers uh, to win and to cover the three on the road against Vegas here. Um, If they play football. Yes. For real. Uh, I... Let's take the, the Chargers will win, but the Raiders will make it a like one two point game. So they'll cover. Oh, so now you look at you really appealing to the boss. We got a nice, exciting week 18 matchup for Sunday night. Football. No, I'm just appealing to the tie. That, that gets me. That gets me there. If it's a tie. Right? Oh, OK. Yeah. So the Raiders cover if it's a tie. By virtue of tying. That's true. You should. I should play for that scenario. But it's too late. Took the Chargers. I think that's all the games. Did I miss anything? Let's see. Who knows? Looks like 16 total games, two on Saturday, 14 on Sunday, no Monday night football. And then we're back next week with wild card games. We have far fewer games to preview next week, Sam. So I'm sure we'll have a nice tight, you know, one hour podcast, right? Of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, anyway, thanks to everybody for tuning in, not just this week, but this entire season, sticking with us for all of our previews, our reviews, love just talking ball and, you know, enjoying uh, the feedback that we've gotten from you guys, NFL podcast at, uh, at PFF.com. That's where you give us the feedback, but we get a lot of feedback from people that say, Hey, I just found the podcast or, you know, you guys just help me see the game differently, whatever it might be, or you guys are idiots. We get a lot of mm. feedback all over the place, um, but we love to hear it. NFL podcast at PFF.com. And don't forget you get 25% off using the promo code NFL pod anywhere at PFF.com. Sam, I'll be back. Be back in studio with you next week. Sweet. Hopping back in the minivan. I'm not on vacation. I'm working, but we're just locating here at the moment. You know? 16 more hours in the minivan? Yeah. Yeah. God. In a day. We'll see if we can do it in 15. Yeah. Chop an hour off. Uh, anyway, thanks again to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week as we review all of the week 18 NFL action. <laughs>